0: Cannabis revenue will avert city layoffs. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, in a deal with the Chicago Federation of Labor, will borrow against tax receipts from weed to save 350 city union jobs. And Crane's government reporter, A.D. Quigg, joins the podcast today to talk about why, now that Governor Pritzker's graduated income tax proposal has been defeated, the fiscal choices that remain range from bad to worse.
1: When the economy is what it is, when so many people are unemployed, when so many people are scared of becoming unemployed, and when we're facing this second wave of COVID here that might endanger all of those revenues that the state counts on
0: all over again. um, It's just that much harder. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Monday, November 16th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash DailyGist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Crane's government reporter, A.D. Quigg, here to talk about how, fiscally speaking, Governor Pritzker's post-tax proposal choices range from, well, bad to worse, with other tax hikes and service cuts on the table as options. A.D., tell me what's going on today.
1: It's bad. I mean, we were expecting the fair tax, the graduated income tax proposal, to bring in about $1.3 billion for the rest of this fiscal year. And I should say Illinois has weird fiscal years that go from summer to summer, so from the end of June till July 1. So we were expecting uh, if the fair tax passed, it would begin collections in January, we'd have $1.3 billion. Um, This budget was also hoping that we would get some federal relief, which has not come through either. So now we're stuck with a big gap. Illinois has always had structural gaps in its budget, but things are look bigger and are scarier because we're in the middle of a pandemic and our our revenues have been hit pretty hard, it makes hard choices that much harder because in a normal budget year when you had a big deficit, you could look at a tax and maybe have a pretty good political chance of arguing for it. But when the economy is what it is, when so many people are unemployed, when so many people are scared of becoming unemployed, and when we're facing this second wave Of COVID here that might endanger all of those revenues that the state counts on all over again. um, It's just that much harder. It's harder to get political support for a tax. It's harder for legislators to vote for a tax because they have to go back to their home communities and say, yeah, I I raised taxes on you in the middle of a recession. So we're looking at a, a very big gap and very few options and also a delayed session for the Illinois General Assembly. So they technically have time on their hands to kind of start to work this out. But the options are are pretty minimal at this point.
0: So let's talk about what those options are.
1: So the governor identified, um, this was the day after the election, when uh, the group that he helped fund uh, to fight for the fair tax basically conceded. And he said, you know, three years ago, when I first started talking about this, I said, we have three options to plug this structural gap that the state is always reckoning with. We can slash discretionary spending across the board by 15%. Uh, We could raise the income tax by 1% on everybody, or we could do the fair tax. And you guys said no to the fair tax, so (laughs) there will be cuts and they will be painful. And this was, you know, the first day after the election, I think he was still kind of raw from the results and now people aren't thinking in such a binary fashion that it's either a, a 1% across-the-board hike in, in the income tax or a 15% across-the-board cut in discretionary spending, and now we're kind of trying to get a little bit more creative. So I think what we'll probably end up seeing is a mix of cuts to discretionary spending, which is education spending, perhaps on the state's funding of its public universities, potentially K-12 spending, which is very politically rife Legislators fought for a long time for evidence-based funding for K-12. That is somewhat in danger in all of this, and I think will be one of the toughest votes that legislators have to take if they do decide to make big cuts. Public safety spending, perhaps um, money on state troopers or cuts to uh, state prisons, potentially health care or child care spending that the state makes, uh, and then just kind of broad cuts to agencies, which is typically where governments go to cut first. We might also see borrowing. Um, The state is authorized to borrow up to $5 billion from the Federal uh, Liquidity Facility that was passed as part of um, kind of the early days of COVID to let states and municipalities borrow money to cover their costs. But they have to pay that back pretty quickly, and it's it's unclear where where they would get the revenues to do that. And then there's new revenue. So we might see a hike in the income tax across the board. There's some other proposals to tax retirement income, which is very politically prickly, and we could talk about that in a second. And there's a new-ish proposal from House Democrats specifically to close some corporate loopholes, which I think is, of the political options, folks have maybe one of the most attractive, but it will take a bit of work to figure out which tax credits or tax breaks to cut without hurting businesses that are still that rely on them
0: that are still kind of struggling through
1: this recession.
0: So you mentioned that from House Democrats. What about House Republicans and another list of possible savings there?
1: So they want cuts. House Republicans will always want cuts. They basically say it's up to the governor to come to them first with his proposals. House Republican leader Jim Durkin basically said, I suggest you start with 6.5% across the board cuts to departments, and we can go from there. They are in the super minority. We've talked previously about um, how both the House and Senate are Democratic super majorities. Even though Mike Madigan uh, lost a couple seats in this most recent election, he still has a super majority. So they are always kind of on defense in a sense. They're not in offense. They're not responsible for making those cuts in the first round. Uh, but the governor will be meeting with the four tops, so the Democratic and Republican heads of the House and Senate in the weeks to come. I'm not sure if that first meeting is happening this week, but he basically said we need to get together and figure out how big this hole is, and we, we need, need to keep in mind that we're in the middle of a fiscal year, so they have to solve for that big gap in this year's budget, and then the governor is supposed to come out with his budget by the third Wednesday of February, so they could be meeting in Springfield in January to solve for the end of the rest of this fiscal year, and then the governor has to come back in February and say, here's my plan for next year. It's a He's got a lot on his plate.
0: Okay, now let's circle back to to the retirement income piece of this that you mentioned.
1: A big argument that emerged in the fair tax fight from fair tax opponents was that if voters allowed a graduated income tax, that same graduated structure could be applied to a taxation on retirement income. The governor has said over and over he has no interest in taxing retirement income. Uh, the AARP actually came out in support of the fair tax because it meant that there would not be... Uh, a tax on retirement income, but it is a potentially pretty lucrative target. Uh, the Civic Federation did an analysis that found they could get 2.5 billion dollars annually and that number would grow if they began taxing retirement income, but it is very politically <laughs> unpopular. The basic reason is that older people vote and if you vote to tax their retirement income they will they will turn out against you, basically. I'm not sure how seriously legislators are taking that. That has not come up in, in any of my discussions. It comes up in discussions with policy people because they're like a lot of other states do it. And we could, like, we could make a lot of money doing it. But I, I don't think legislators have quite put it on the table. But it's something, something that keeps coming up.
0: Yeah. So in your mind, what is the big picture election day lesson here of why this didn't pass? Ugh,
1: so this is like the, after the election, everyone does like a lot of here's what went wrong kind of stuff. I don't know if we'll have a fully crystallized answer for a while. A lot of the Monday morning quarterbacking has been like, this is all Mike Madigan's fault. If he had played a less prominent role in the party, people wouldn't have been able to tie everything to him and make it look as though everything Springfield touches is horribly corrupt. There's some discussion of whether Governor Pritzker should have gone up on television earlier with his messaging around the fair tax, um, that he left basically a big opening for opponents to come in and shape the debate. There was some discussion of Pritzker not being able to, not not fully campaigning on this issue, as he should have. I'm I'm sure his retort would be, I was fighting a, a pandemic in the state, and number one, I needed to dedicate all of my time to that, but number two, it would have looked bad if I would have been splitting my time between saving lives and going around campaigning in favor of attacks. I, I don't know when we'll know. I think the dominant discussion is the Madigan one, but there's kind of a, a broader one that uh, Republicans turned out and that there's just low, well-founded mistrust uh, in Springfield and that people voting on this felt they couldn't trust Springfield to spend their money and that they should have been more clear about what the money would go toward, whether it was directly to pensions or education funding. There were some other kind of similar tax amendments in other states that succeeded because people said they were tied to specific spending. I'm sure we'll be talking about what led to the graduated income taxes failure for several years, but it's Governor Pritzker's kind of biggest uh, biggest campaign loss to date, biggest effort loss to date. It's And it's a big loss because it's going to impact all the rest of the budgets
0: that he has to pass in these next couple of years. So given all that you just said, are there any bright spots in the budget, any places for optimism at all?
1: I can't think of any at the moment. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you you hope that um crisis brings people together and forces some uncomfortable conversations that wouldn't have happened otherwise to happen. But we had 2 years of crisis d- during the budget impasse under Governor Rauner and that just stunk all around. <laughs> that was not uh that was not a good time all around. We did not have a Kumbaya moment and reach consensus about Illinois' budget. And when I was talking to, you know, fiscal policy folks, no one was optimistic that we could come to some kind of grand structural solution. They're all like, I've been following this for 10 or 15 years, and this structural budget problem has been a problem for the past 10 or 15 years, and I think it will continue to be a problem for the next 10 or 15 years. But we'll see. I mean, Governor Pritzker likes thinking of himself as kind of a grand convener and a and a get it dunner. Uh, And, you know, they've they've achieved quite a bit so far. Um, So maybe he'll pull something magical out of his pocket in the next few weeks. Um, I'll be interested to see.
0: As will everyone, I'm sure. Well, we will keep turning to you for the latest. A.D., thanks so much for talking it through today. Thank you. Coming up, why Lyft is spending money on Illinois politicians. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Thompson Coburn LLP is a national law firm whose Chicago attorneys have represented some of Chicago's largest public and privately held companies in a variety of corporate and litigation legal matters. Thompson Coburn attorneys deliver exceptional legal guidance to publicly and closely held businesses, financial institutions, and sole and family proprietorships across nearly every major industry and business sector. Thompson Coburn is all about total commitment to its clients, its people, and its community. Remember That your business deserves legal advisors and litigators who are totally committed to your success.
1: This is The Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth.
0: Mayor Lori Lightfoot will lean more heavily on borrowing to spare roughly 350 city workers from layoffs in her 2021 budget. The deal, announced in a joint press release from Lightfoot and Chicago Federation of Labor President Rob Ryder, will quote, ensure Chicago's public workers, the backbone of our neighborhoods, maintain their jobs and health insurance while also protecting the critical services Chicagoans rely on during these unprecedented times, they said. Continuing, we are committed to continue working together to to identify places where we can partner on savings. So to cover the $13 million-ish the layoffs would have saved in Lightfoot's budget, the city will instead bond against sales tax revenue from cannabis, expecting to net about $15 million, pay 3.25% interest, and repay the debt over 15 years. Lightfoot noted that cannabis revenue is just about one of the only bright spots in the city budget. With the state reporting an uptick in monthly collections, city finance officials expect those sales tax revenues to hit $3 million this year, which will be used to pay back the debt. A public hearing on the budget is set for this week with a final vote expected before Thanksgiving. Averting layoffs could help Lightfoot grab a few yes votes from progressive aldermen who said they could not support a budget that adds to unemployment numbers. A pilot program starting this week to test passengers for COVID-19 who are flying between London and New York could raise hopes for a potential option for transatlantic travel. Chicago-based United said Friday that it will offer free rapid tests to all passengers and crew members on select flights from Newark Airport to London Heathrow through December 11th. And results will be shared with officials on both sides of one of the world's busiest routes and may help to persuade government officials to agree to a travel corridor between the destinations. destinations. Anyone who turns down the test will be put on another flight, guaranteeing that everyone on board these select flights, other than kids under two, will have tested negative before departure. The U.K. requires passengers arriving from the U.S. to self-isolate for 14 days upon arrival. The British transport minister has floated the idea of shortening the quarantine period for visitors by testing people a week after arrival. Similarly, U.K. passengers are also currently restricted from entering the U.S. According to the initial public offering prospectus filed by DoorDash, which is a rival of Chicago's Grubhub, the food delivery company's revenue more than tripled in the first nine months of this year compared to the year before, spurred by people using the app to order food while sheltering in place. And it also turned a quarterly profit for the first time ever, occurring during the three months right at the beginning of the pandemic. As public investors weigh whether or not to buy another big spending, high growth, high valuation startup, they're likely wondering whether or not all this will last. DoorDash, like its peers in ride-hailing and food delivery, has almost always been unprofitable. It lost more than $100 million a quarter in 2019 before that $23 million in profit in the second quarter of this year. Then it went back to losing money in the three-month period after that. The startup has raised pretty big bucks from venture capitalists and software. Off bank group with the aim of growing big enough to dominate a market first and then break even later. But while the coronavirus pandemic has impacted the economy and put millions out of work, it proved to be a huge boon to DoorDash. After stay-home orders started, the San Francisco-based company started seeing more orders, more customers, and more restaurants on its app, as well as what they described as improved efficiency of its service, that according to the filing. But even the company says that that boost won't last forever, noting The circumstances that have accelerated the growth of our business stemming from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic may not continue in the future, the filing said, predicting lower growth rates in revenue, total orders, and total order value in coming periods. DoorDash's filing does point to some reasons though to be optimistic about its ability to turn a profit post-pandemic. If the company keeps its new customers coming back, they tend to spend more year after year on the platform, and of course, existing customers don't need as much coaxing through sales and marketing as do new ones. But it's also unclear how much customers will stick around without enticement. The company's revenue grew from 675 million in the second quarter to almost 880 million in the next, but it also spent almost $300 million on sales and marketing in the third quarter to keep those sales growing, which is nearly 75% more than the year prior. DoorDash said in the filing that it now has half of U.S. food delivery market share, with Uber Eats at 26%, Grubhub at 16%, and Postmates, which was acquired by Uber this year, at 7%. While Lyft was leading a high-profile campaign to derail a gig worker law in California, it was also low-key laying the groundwork for something similar here in Illinois. The company formed a political action committee called Illinoisans for Independent Work on June 30th with 1.2 million. That, according to State Board of Elections filings, the PAC spent nearly half a million bucks on mailing and digital media buys on behalf of 11 state house candidates in the most recent elections, and also doubled its direct campaign contributions for. A Total of $133,000 to 50 state legislators, both Republican and Democrat, as well as more than a dozen Chicago aldermen. So, Illinois is one of three states, alongside Washington and New York, where Lyft formed political action committees to discourage potential legislation aimed at providing protections to independent contractors who work for app companies like Lyft, Uber, Grubhub, and the aforementioned DoorDash. And last year, California passed a law that would have compelled them to treat gig workers as employees rather than independent contractors, which would have sharply increased costs for the companies, most of which are already struggling to turn a profit, threatening the rise of the so-called gig economy that depends on cheap labor summoned by mobile users. But Lyft, Uber, and the others fought back in California, spending more than $200 million on a ballot proposition that created an exemption for them. And now the companies want to duplicate those efforts in other states. If they succeed, their Illinois drivers will remain cont- who don't receive benefits like minimum wage and workers' comp, sick leave and unemployment. If they don't succeed, customers could see higher prices as companies pass along the costs of extending those benefits to drivers. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at ChicagoBusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Crane's government reporter, A.D. Quigg. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening and I'll meet you right back here next time.